Yo, I am Brad Rickle, and this is the Brad Rickle Brief. Thank you for taking the time and tuning in. Today's episode is a follow-up to my financial talk on the first podcast. I hit slightly on the subject of FIRE, financial independence, retired early. I talked a lot about my approach to finances in life, and I wanted to discuss FIRE a little more in-depthly because the tenets of FIRE resonate so much with me. And while this isn't a financial podcast, so much in my life comes up with finances. Some of my some of my good buddies, some of the best conversations I do have revolve around finances that this is going to come up quite a bit probably on this show. I first heard about FIRE a couple years ago from my buddy Britt. We were talking about just life general, making small talk, and he mentioned to me that I might find this topic of FIRE of particular interest. He sent over some a paper, a mathematical financial paper referred to as the Trinity Study, and then he sent me some some links for the general FIRE community. So here's kind of a quick history. The Trinity Study and Vicki Robin, she wrote a book, and they came out within a few years of each other in the early 1990s. And together, they kind of unintentionally formed the foundation of what is now known as FIRE. Vicki Robin wrote a book called Your Money or Your Life, the premise of the book is when you consider what you make at your job, you subtract out how much it costs to do that job, you know, your commute, dry cleaning, lunch, etc. You end up with a net pay that's going to be much less than your official salary. And then you add in the fact that not only are you expending money to keep your job, you're also expending your time to do the job. And that part makes sense, but we don't necessarily calculate it in to how much we're making. Therefore, the money you're making not only represents a net value of earnings, it also represents your life that you've sacrificed to maintain the job. So what does that mean? It means that if you take a job and there's a 30-minute commute and you work eight hours and you come home, that you should include everything when you figure out what you're actually getting paid if you spend $10 a day for lunch at the cafeteria, the reality is you should subtract $2,600 or so from your, from your take-home salary, right? If you're making eighty k a year after taxes, some 401k contributions, your take-home is going to look closer to fifty dollars to $60,000. And then you're subtracting $2,500, $2,600 from that? That's a pretty big portion all of a sudden. A person would have to work an extra two to three weeks to get that equivalent and take-home pay of of what lunch is going to cost for the year. Interesting exchange. Commuting is the harder part to calculate because it's important to remember that your time is valuable and we all seem to commute for our jobs. It has an opportunity cost associated with it. And what I mean by opportunity cost is... When you get time, you can do whatever you want with that time. You can spend time with your family. You can get educated, work out, read, go hunting, whatever you want to do. But if you're in the car commuting, that time is committed and gone. So there's no more opportunity. Calculate that and subtract it from your salary. All of a sudden, a long commute doesn't make sense anymore. If you figure out your time is worth... $25 an hour, and you spend 150 hours on the road, that's going to be an extra 4K. 
that you should be deducting from your salary because you could be earning money with that time if your time is $25 an hour. You can do a lot with either your time or your money. And if you're sitting in a car, you can't do either. So take that into account. And I think that's a very important point from Vicki Robin. Once you understand that money actually represents time in your life, you can start to view spending differently. I found myself asking, is this sweater worth two hours of me sitting in a cubicle? Is this car worth six months of hard labor to work off? Vicky also touches on the concept of, of having enough. Just enough so your needs and wants are met, but not in excess. A sweet little Goldilocks zone of acquisition there. Because buying things really doesn't make us happy. Going into debt to buy things especially makes us even less happy. I love the long term. I love the term the authors use to describe people who work nonstop to support excessive lifestyles. Instead of saying making a living, Vicki Robin refers to it as making a dying. Then the book ends with a guide on how to get out of debt and save money. Some common sense advice that's prevalent on almost anything. Work, save, reduce spending. Pretty commonsensical stuff. Stuff you even heard on this podcast. So the other ten pole of fire is the Trinity study, also referred to in the fire community as the 4% rule. The Trinity study is the informal name used to refer to a 1998 paper by three professors of finance at, surprise, surprise, Trinity University. It attempts to determine a safe withdrawal rate for retirement portfolios that contains stocks and goes through growth or shrinking irregularity over time in the markets. It states that a person has sufficient savings in assets if 4% of their assets can cover a year's worth of expenses. And this paper, for me, is boring, and I almost made it through the abstract. But you get to the conclusion that if a person saves 25 times their annual expenses, it's safe to retire because a 4% withdrawal rate is equal to 25 times yearly expenses. Confused? Quick math. If a person has annual expenses, housing, car, food, utilities, fund money of $50,000 a year, their safe retirement number, according to this, would be $1.25 million or 25 times 50. A person could theoretically draw out 4% of their $1.25 million and have that retirement portfolio to last forever. Then you have to go into more math about how the market's going to perform Monte Carlo simulations, but that's the upshot. And those two combined are the biggest parts of FIRE. In talking with the Trinity study to my parents and my friends, I found that people with a math or finance background will have a tendency to believe this paper compared to blue-collar folk that just, they work hard and they save money. I, I get that. You shouldn't take any study just at face value. You should always ask questions. But these are the two concepts that overlay onto each other that get to fire. Vicki Robin is the financial independence portion. The Trinity study is the early retirement. Understanding that your money and your time are the same thing. And if you can't cut down on spending, or rather, if you can cut down on spending, then you don't need to save as much to retire. 
And that part makes sense. That's an easy equation. If you need $50,000 a year to retire or $50,000 a year to live compared to 80000 those end up being drastically different numbers once you multiply each one by 25. There's a big difference between $1.25 million, as discussed with $50,000 a year, and $2 million. It's even hard to envision saving $1 million. Now, a million isn't what it used to be, but it sure isn't nothing. It's a tough goal to reach. So maybe this is all shit. Maybe the whole community is just foundly on a foundation of shit. I don't think so. Goals are important, and it is possible to save a million dollars. It's easier with a partner, but it's definitely possible. There are a lot of podcasts, YouTube channels, and books out there regarding this stuff, and a lot of it's just fluff. They have to fill up a lot of content. There are some good people in podcasts promoting this whole thing. There's a podcast group out of Richmond, Virginia. They're called Choose Fi. They're pretty solid. Mr. Money Mustache, he doesn't have a podcast, but he has a blog. He might be the biggest name in the sector. He, he's on PBS. He's definitely worth reading because he approaches life from a very practical standpoint. My buddy Matt actually brought Mr. Money Mustache up to me about four or five years ago. And at the time, I really wasn't digging the style or the lifestyle, rather, of fire or, or anything else. But I read his stuff and there were some things he talks about used cars versus new cars and the impact over the long term. And a lot of that stuff makes sense. He's good at breaking this down in digestible ways. And I, have, I like listening to fire podcasts. I realized listening to them that I had a yearning for the idea of just walking away from a job because you don't need it anymore. There's something romantic about it. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. And the fire premise is simple. Keep your living expenses as low as you can, save aggressively, and invest so your money can compound over time to make your goals achievable. The slow cycle of the rat race starts out innocent enough. I'm going to take this job so I can get a used car, I can have some wheels, have a little bit of freedom. That's 16-year-old Brad right there. But then you get talked into a car payment instead of paying for it with savings because they ask you, well, how much can you afford to spend monthly? And they want to put you in a car $10,000 more than you were planning on buying. Then all of a sudden, you need your job. You get scared to leave because you have these monthly obligations. The best phone, the best car, a nice house. They're not luxuries. They're handcuffs. And not just handcuffs, but you're handcuffed and then you're dropped into a pool. And it feels like you're trying with everything you have to stay above water. And that's what happens. We're all stuck in this rat race feedback loop until we die. That is fucking sad. And it's the reality that... A lot of us are living in. For the longest time, it's what I was doing. And this is where fire sticks with people. It seems extreme to some, but fire for those that it resonates with means that there's a way out. Control spending on what's important. Understanding your priorities in fire is essential. And a lot of people, that's the most relieving thing about this, is looking at what your priorities actually are. Keep things reasonable. Save like crazy, whatever crazy means to you. And then there's this way you can have some control in your life. Sounds, sounds good to me. So great, right? That's fire. Vicky Robbins, your time or your, or your money. The Trinity study about how you can retire. And whether that 25 times number is bullshit or not, if nothing else, take away that maybe your retirement number isn't 
an outrageous goal as you once thought it was. Really think about how much you would need to stop working. And that's not to say you will stop, but have an exit strategy. So, but what does fire mean for me? Fire, it's more about a lifestyle or a goal than the actual meaning of it. I think some people take fire too extreme, but it's nice to have a process. There are some that are doing the fire that are just, it's just too much. Others see it as having enough money where you don't need to be in a certain place at a certain time wearing a tie. It's the ability to tell someone to go pound sand when you're on the phone call with them and they're being an asshole to you and you do it on the phone compared to just having that conversation in your head after you hang up the phone. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in freedom and mentality if you can do that. And what fire means is going to be different for each person. For those that want a grand lifestyle, the socialites, the bon vivants, the sum of money is going to be larger than if you just want to drive around in your westy rock climbing and you make chili every night on your little hot plate. Neither one is better. It's personal. So to me, it means not having to have a job. That my lifestyle is set up in such a way that if I get bad news, I'll still sleep okay. My family will still be safe and secure. I like working. I get a lot of value out of working. And there's a difference between having to have a job and not having to have a job. And I'm choosing to work. My partner and I have worked hard over the last few years to put ourselves into a position that we can work jobs that fit our lifestyle. And that's important. It's not the other way around. I want to work a job that I want to be at, not that I have to be at. Currently, I'm a manager for a federal services company. And when you hear that, you're probably like, fucking A, Brad, that is the best goal in the world. You have to be really excited about that. And I am. It's a good job. One of the things, it allows me to use my skills to better people's lives at work. And I really do try to do that every day. And this has been one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. We've all had bad leaders and bosses. And I think I'm going to do a podcast here in an episode or two regarding leadership. But we've all had bad leaders and bosses. And I'm really proud that I have been able to affect those around me for the better, hopefully. I don't want to go back to my value being directly related to the amount of hours I sit in a chair in a cubicle. I've done that enough in my life, and it's just too hard on my soul. That goes in the idea of scaling, I guess. Naval talks about how important it is to do something that's scalable, and I think he borrowed heavily from Nassim Tlaib on the concept. But if your value is tied directly to your time, the only way you can earn more is by working more. Direct correlation. They're not going to be too many millionaires based off of that model. Unless you have some outrageous hourly rate, it's tough to have your time directly proportional to your net worth. So when Britt put me onto this fire thing a couple years ago, and I read about it, yeah, it seemed like a way to get out of the rat race and put a little control back into my hands. Things that I was doing before I fully understood and was striving towards fire, I was looking to increase my hourly rate at my job. For example, my career was on a path in defense intelligence. I got out of the army and there's a lot of work doing the same thing that I was doing in the military, but as a contractor, the next logical steps going from job to job was 
obtaining certain skills that would increase what I was worth at the next job. So I was looking at analytical things and I was taking geospatial classes. And while these are fun, they weren't really speaking to me. And there's a difference between doing something that you want to enhance your life compared to doing it because you want to earn $5 more an hour for the next year of your life. Since achieving financial independence in some form or fashion, I really enjoy working, and, but I'm more concerned now about reading and studying topics that interest me and expand my knowledge compared to doing things directly that, that affect one specific skill set. And it's funny because I still have the tendency to revert back to the mean in times of stress. When things are looking uncertain, I think about getting manager certifications like program manager, professional, or scrum master. And these are certifications that will make me more employable, but they won't make me a better manager. There are things that I like about both of these styles of management, and I read on them a lot, and I take what I like and I discard the rest. I even have a scrum book by Jeff Sutherland in my personal library, and I loan it to people when I start working with them because I think it's such an effective program management style. But I don't want to get the scrum cert. It's just not something that drives me. I think it's cheap signaling. I found that there are a lot of benefits of freeing myself from the burden of thinking how to increase my hourly pay. Reading on topics, I enjoy having conversations that build on that knowledge. And one of the things that I've learned from that is I'm enjoying my job now more than ever. The cycle's worth both ways. But before fire, I wasn't comfortable setting my expectations higher for myself to go after what I personally find interesting instead of what makes me more employable. So I try to live a lifestyle that's, that's manageable in good times and bad. Right now, times are good. I'm very blessed. But they're, they're not always going to stay like this. Shit happens, and I can't predict it. I can't predict how bad it's going to be or how long the bad time will last. What I'm trying to do with this lifestyle, with financial independence, I'm trying to get some reassurance that when things go sideways, it'll still be okay. Even when it's looking risky in the future, I can take the riskier opportunity if there's a potential for a larger reward. I can take the lumps, and the reward might be worth it. Having no debt and some money in the bank turns out to be a very powerful tool. There's a lot of opportunities out there. And a lot of luck has broken my way in life. And I was able to take advantage of some of the opportunities that were presented before me. I've, I've blown my fair share. At this point, all I'm trying to do is make hay while the sun's shining. And attempt as best I can not to get on the hedonic treadmill that I was talking about. A new car isn't worth the stress of a monthly car payment. Not, not even to mention that cars really don't bring me happiness. I think I might have mentioned on here before that I drive a 2012 Toyota Camry. It's paid off. I couldn't be happier with it. Cops don't pull me over because only 90-year-old women drive Camrys. Fire has also helped me think about and understand what my actual priorities are. Not everything can be a priority. So I'm thankful I'm thankful I've had the time, the patience, and the understanding to look at what's important to my life and to those around me, but even more so, I'm thankful 
that I have a partner who shares the same values I do. Because this would, this would be a totally different game if her and I were not on the same page. This process would be the opposite. It would be frustrating without her and I working together. If I was making and saving money and she was spending it or vice versa, that's not a good way to go forward. And I love Mallory and I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful about our relationship. And one of her biggest strengths is how pragmatic she is. It's admirable. And that she's pragmatic shouldn't surprise me. She's getting her PhD in mechanical engineering. I have to assume that logic and order are highly desirable traits in the engineering career fields. But it's easy to not be logical about one's own life. Emotions are powerful, and we have this cognitive dissonance, and it helps kind of ease the narrative when things don't break our way. I'm continually amazed how she approaches our life and consciously chooses what I think are the right things, relationships and experiences over possessions. Having her as a partner in my life compounds the effects of financial independence 10 to the 20th. And we're able to reach our goals so quickly. It seems like there's no time. We put a goal on the calendar and we hit it in no time flat. Choosing a smart, capable, dependable partner like Mallory might be one of the biggest life hacks to this whole thing. And I don't think people talk about that enough. Most people that are doing financial independence, they're either one, they are a uh, rogue bachelor, live in really Spartan lifestyle, or it's a good partnership between, between partners. And I'm very thankful to say I'm the latter there. So we try to be conscious of our spending, not making big purchases if, where they can can be avoided. And when we do need a new washer, a new dryer, we have, a, we have a brand new baby in the house. We are doing loads of laundry every single day now. Might need a new washer in the near future. Just understanding the impacts of what that purchase will do mean a lot. If there's a difference between two weeks worth of, of pay and labor associated with two months, all of a sudden the features seem a little bit different. If I know I'm locked in, to having to work three months for a washer just because there's a smartphone application to it. And personally, as nice as a new million-dollar home would be with 10 bedrooms to accommodate our expanding family, I don't think, I'm not convinced that it would bring me more happiness compared to just using the house that we do have that's paid off. It seems like fire is simple enough. Pay off debt, live your life. And that really speaks with me. My parents told me something similar growing up. I'm sure your parents did the same. And I think it's a romantic notion to be able to think about your job in a different way of you not needing your employer, but your employer needing you more. It's a romantic notion. I hope I was able to expose and clarify some more points about financial independence retirement early. And I do encourage you, Go out there, just Google it, read some of the stuff. Maybe you don't like everything, but I say this, take what you like, apply it to your life, discard the rest because it's all nonsense. So if it doesn't speak to you, don't do it. I want to thank you 
for taking the time and listening to today's episode. As always, music is provided by James Spensley. You can hear it in the background here, but I definitely want to say, not only does this dude know how to shred, but I want to congratulate him and his partner. They just brought a beautiful baby girl into this world. So congratulations, you two. Good luck. We'll catch up later. See you later, folks. I'm out. <laughs>